With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's our midweek edition, the Wednesday show, Sam, where we can just talk about anything. Yeah. You ready? Also, the games that have already happened and will happen. Monday Night Football, we're going to go long form. Monday Night Football, Seahawks Saints review. Uh-huh. No, we're not. We're actually not doing that this week. Uh, I asked you to uh, come up with the title here. And I like it. Prior perception with the rookie quarterbacks is something wrong with the Chiefs offense. We haven't talked to enough Chiefs this Actually, week. Actually, Tyler asked me. You were busy trying to get your ass into the building. Right on our, time. We always say one fifteen start on Wednesdays, right? Uh-huh. Always one fifteen Eastern time. Uh-huh. Never 1 o'clock. Hmm. Okay. And some car issues today. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what they were later. Um, wife's fault. Not going to lie. All right. It's her fault. Um, anyway, we will uh, we'll get into all of this fun stuff, plus all you know, mailbag and the whole thing. What else we got to sort out here at the top? Uh, charity update. Well, I don't know. Like, first of all, uh, call for mailbag stuff. We've got some cool emails. Continue to send them in. We'll talk about some on the podcast today. If you want to send us email, uh, general musings, whatever, stories. We've had the good story, the Jason Kelsey thing. Jason Kelsey story. Good story. Um, or questions for the Mailbag Podcast, fire us an email at NFL, no, yeah, NFL Podcast, singular, yes. at pff.com. I get confused sometimes, too. There we go. And while we're at it, what's our promo code if you want 25% off uh, any PFF subscription? That is NFL Pod. NFL P-O-D. NFL Pod gets you 25% off any subscription over at pff.com. Our gift to you. It is. And your gift to us is listening. Yeah, we're all working together And here. signing up using our promo code so that we get credit. Twenty-five percent off is a great deal. It's like a quarter of the you know, quarter <laughs> a, of it off. It's a lot like a it's, quarter. It's of very, it off. it's yeah. very close. Um, anyway, have appreciate you, everybody. If you had Eric check the numbers on that, is it? I mean, is it? I'll, how how like it is it? Get it to the analytics folks here right. here soon. Uh, so let's. Uh, you want to start out with the rookie quarterback discussion? Charity update. Oh, charity. Uh, we are at forty-three hundred and ninety dollars. We got to set a date here of a two thousand dollar goal. By the way, let me so, sale. We didn't. It. 
we didn't think timing on this. It's starting to get cold. Right. Do you want to wait until the spring to do this or God, we have to no. do it? We have to do it. Do you want to do like two Fridays from now maybe? We can do it. We can do it whenever. What we do need though is potentially a little bit of help from people. Um, some guy said he'll add more money if you clear whatever the hell it was, 75 miles per hour on a radar gun. Okay. So we're going to need a radar gun. Is, is there anybody from the University of Cincinnati, See, like the UC baseball team that listens to this? We need somebody from the I would UC love to baseball team or maybe a their high field. school. Any of you work or are at a high school or university, anywhere with a field that has Cincinnati, equipment, they could hook us up. Kentucky area. You are also going to need a catcher of some kind. Yeah. We'll I might to, have one. I got a friend who might be able to find one for me. We'll have to draw up like a waiver of some kind so that we don't get sued over this. Yeah, splitters in the dirt. Yeah, I'm unlikely rough. to sue you, but other people I can't vouch for. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if you are in any way, shape, or form connected with a northern Kentucky or Cincinnati area place that has baseball equipment in a field, send us an email, nflpodcast at pff.com, because we're going to get this rolling. I've done at least, you know, one day of batting practice, so I should be good to go. You've done your part. Right. You, I'm going to play catch once, and I'll be ready to there go. There you go. Then we just need to do it. Dust off the spikes out of the basement. <laughs> and whatever injuries come will come. <laughs> yeah. And, and we want to do it outdoors, because if, if it's indoors, it's tough to see. I you tweeted at you earlier, and you didn't answer. Somebody said that you need to shave your head for the, the next one. There is no answer. There's no number we could, we could raise that would make you shave off the jerry. I don't think so, no. Not a number. Because you were willing to pick it out and rock a fro for a grand. That's how this whole thing started. No, fro's are fun. You're telling me there's not a single number that would fro's, make you shave that thing off. Fro's are fun because I'm shower like, away. From it'll grow back. I mean, it. it's not like it's permanent. Now, it might expose some concerns in terms of coverage and, and yeah. color, but it yeah, would grow back. I don't need to be exposed. <laughs> we don't. We don't need that. So wow, yeah. not a single number. I don't want to know it. what the real shape I of my head is or any of that stuff. I thought you'd at least fire out a, a number that you know an. an a difficult to achieve, but I would do it. Tempting uh, number. Got somebody's returning their call. My call. Oh, wow. uh, sorry, Chris. We're live. We're live on the air. I get a call. Get to call the boss back after yeah. this. Got some business to discuss. Okay. Um, it would have to be. It would have to be for my friends over at Heritage House again, and it would have to be a monster number. It would have to be ballpark me. Give me something to shoot I mean, for. it's at least five figures. Okay. Close to six. <laughs> I mean, we're talking <laughs> fifty to hundred k. Okay, right. And yeah. then some like yeah, lifetime Starbucks or something like that. You know, oh, I can't pull that. There's got to be some incentives in there as right. well, um, just for charity. Mm. Anyway, that's how this that's how this whole thing started. Yeah, that's how our charity drives started. It did. So we have I have a metal bat that we're going to use. We have a wooden bat with our uh, logo and the logo of uh, Best Friends Animal Society on its way at some point as well. We'll rock that on the podcast for a while. Um, we've got essentially $4,400 already. There is more money waiting to be thrown in once people see the extent of the injury and or hilarity that ensues from this baseball. Um, so, you know, th there's always time to donate still. Go to my pin tweet. You didn't put it as your pin tweet because you're some kind of jackass. Um, but my pin tweet, BFF underscore Sam, and donate and help us get there and then start thinking about what we do next. All right. Anything else we got to cover here? I think that's housekeeping out of the way, right? Yes. Well done. We do a little bit more housekeeping on so Wednesdays. So if you're the people that, <laughs> that hate the intro and the housekeeping, now is when you start listening. I don't know how to help you there with the uh, 
The fast time forward stamps, to this particular yeah, time. Fast forward to now, and you're good. All right. Uh, what What are your thoughts on the rookie quarterbacks here? You, the way you position this as like perception. You want to go back and say, "Here's what we thought, and here's where they are here through seven weeks of the NFL season." Well, no, no. no. So we had a we had a question that came in from somebody called Matthew Story, yeah, uh, which I think was an interesting discussion to have. He essentially says. <laughs> Mike Renner famously described the Texans' decision to draft Davis Mills in the second round as setting the pick on fire. Uh, Yet through the first six weeks of their careers, he's produced an almost identical PFF grade, admittedly one in the mid-50s, to Trevor Lawrence um, and on an equally terrible team. Does this not indicate that the Texans are getting good value for their second round pick? Uh, Additionally, it seems that as if Sam and Steve consistently talk about Lawrence's upside on individual plays while openly mocking Mills for being terrible often in the same podcast. I'm just curious, what is it that separates the rookies in the eyes of PFF? Is there a quantifiable reason for the seemingly double standard, or is it first overall pick syndrome? Matthew. That's a good, it, it's a fair question. It is. It's a fair point. I would say my answer to that would be, I think you, maybe, have been a little bit too harsh on Davis Mills overall. No. A little bit. No. Um, the, the answer is, uh, college data still matters. Like co- what happened in college still matters. I mean, that's one answer. Oh, that is. Well, I mean, that's one of my. That's that's one answer. Then uh-huh. you know what we saw from Trevor Lawrence at Clemson still matters in his projection because we're only seven games into the uh, NFL season, six games into his career. What Davis Mills did or didn't do at Stanford still matters in this whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What's your answer, by the way? Well, this should be good. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has actually done good things. Uh, as much as their overall grade nets out to pretty much the same area, it's come about in very different circumstances. Trevor Lawrence has made big plays consistently, you know, most weeks. Um, he has 10 big-time throws, which is a healthy 4.5% big-time throw rate. Uh, Davis Mills has four big-time throws, which is a big-time throw rate of 2.2%, which is lower than Tua, Tua last year, which was the lowest in the NFL. So essentially, Davis Mills has done very little positive in an offense that's been like specifically pared back and made idiot-proof for him, whereas Trevor Lawrence has essentially been tossed the keys to the, I can't say Ferrari because that really isn't the Ferrari, has been tossed the keys to the new F-150 and said, knock yourself out, Trev, go, go do what you do. The Jags offense is an F-150. Sure. New, new F-150. Feels rich. Right out of the showroom. Yeah. Sitting there on the forecourt. They've just tossed him the keys and said, go nuts. And he's been doing what he's doing. Uh, Davis Mills has been running this like... broken breaks. Right. The offensive line. Uh, Well, Davis Mills (laughs) has been running this very pared back version of the offense. Has done almost nothing in terms of like big value and throws. And has made as many boneheaded mistakes. More or less. So, the point being, it's... (laughs) Yes... There is a degree to which there are priors on these two players still matter on the basis that we're only like seven games into the season. So what we knew about them up until this point is still a relevant data point. Uh, but there's also a degree to which, albeit uh, even if their PFF grades are in the same ballpark right now, the composition of those grades is very different. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's a fair answer. So I think, I think a combination of both of those uh, yeah. are part of that. Uh, do you want to expound upon that with other quarterbacks? And there, and what are? Do we want to reset expectations well, for is, the rookies based off what we've seen? Is there anybody through seven weeks 
for whom you are tossing out the prior evaluation and are now in a completely different headspace. I think Zach Wilson's been a little concerning. I think Zach Wilson's been more concerning than, say, Trevor Lawrence. And again, I, I, their grades are close, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I, wa- I would just I wanted to see better play from Wilson. So I, I here's what I think: when it's not so much are they good, are they not good? It's the style that I think is indicative. So the example I always use is Andrew Luck, right? With Andrew Luck, I, I, I expected this Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, you know, smart quarterback that was going to get rid of the ball quickly in this whole thing. What we got was hold the ball long, and he played a little bit more like Big Ben or Brett Favre, right? He, he had a completely different playing style for the majority of his career, Andrew Luck, than maybe we anticipated coming out. I think Zach Wilson's playing style, Justin Fields' playing style, both of their styles are telling at this point. Uh, Wilson holding the ball a, t- a long time, over three seconds, time to throw, and, and he's not a mobile quarterback that's going to create with his legs. or He can create outside the pocket, so that meshes a little bit. I wasn't fully expecting that from Wilson. I thought he'd work a little bit quicker, and especially after the preseason, I thought he'd work a little bit yeah. quicker and then sprinkle in the outside po- the pocket stuff. Um, Deshaun Watson was a guy who, in college, was he got rid of the ball quickly, and he rarely got to his second read, and it was a lot of like one read and run. And when he got to the NFL, he started playing more like a Russ or a Josh Allen plays like now, or you know, extend an Aaron Rodgers, guys who extend plays a little bit more. Watson wasn't that guy in college from a style standpoint. He had the ability, obviously, he just he changed his style in the NFL. And that style ended up working well for him so far in the NFL. Yeah. So I think those are the types of things that I see where maybe my perceptions change. Not so, how, not so much how good they are, but the style that they play. The confusing part about Zach Wilson is the preseason part. Like if you would, if I hadn't seen his preseason performance and this was the Zach Wilson we got, that would have made sense to me. Like a lot of sense. I. Obviously, it would be disappointing, and it's in kind of the lower end of the spectrum of what you would hope for a rookie quarterback, even one that plays with his style. But it makes sense, right? You go from this BYU offense where you're barely ever touched, you're under pressure, never. Everything, all the pressure essentially is stuff that you've created by making these crazy outside of structure plays. And you really weren't tested by good defenses, by good pass rushes, by good coverage, all those things. So... As much as you looked special that year, you can easily imagine that when you translate to the NFL and everything gets tougher and you're under pressure a lot more and your receivers aren't as good relative to their opposition, the coverage is better relative to their opposition, the pass rush is suddenly all over you. I mean, you can imagine pretty quickly that going south and him looking like this. But we then saw this preseason where he just looked cool, calm, collected, in in charge of the offense, in rhythm. Everything was just drop back, hit the guy. You know, force feeding the ball to Corey Davis, just it looked easy. And that is a little bit difficult to square and to pull all those things together and make a coherent picture out of it. But here's I mean, here's a number are. just to, to back that up, okay? So again, using premium stats, two point all, you know, twenty five percent off with your NFL pod uh, promo code. So if you go to the passing grades page and you sort by time to throw. And time to throw, I mention this all the time, it's a little misleading the way we word it. It's not time to throw. That implies that the offensive line is giving you the time. It is a, it's more of like a chosen time. This is how much you've chosen to take as the quarterback. Um, it is always a little bit skewed because it's, it's snap to release, right? Snap to release or snap to the end of, are you crossing the line as a scrambler? 
Um, so it's always skewed a little bit toward quarterbacks who scramble a lot. So the highest times to throw in the NFL, Lamar Jackson, 3.17, and then just below that, Zach Wilson, Jameis Winston, Jalen Hurts, Taylor Heineke. All of those guys, they're all, those are all the guys who are above three seconds. The number of scrambles that they have, the guys that are above three, you've got Lamar with 30, Winston has 13, Hurts has 29, Heineke has 27. So they all have a bunch of plays where they scrambled. They scrambled out of the pocket and then crossed the line of scrimmage, became runners. Zach Wilson has four. That's it. Only four scrambles. So he's got this really long time in the pocket in a pretty quick-hitting offense, right? We're talking about the Shanahan scheme that generally gets rid of the ball pretty quickly. He's got the highest time in pocket or snap to release without scrambles skewing that. So his timing has been poor, right? He has not played well within the structure of the offense. So that'd be my my Zach Wilson concern or the change of perception that he's just going to maybe play. And he held the ball a little bit at BYU, but it was, but it was again, it was because I got some clean pockets, right. I got some good receivers, a lot of the field stuff, right? I got clean pockets, I got good receivers. I didn't think that would be Zach Wilson's the, style. Actually, though. the one player of that group that I think I have changed my opinion on a little bit is Trey Lance. Um, I thought he was, I thought he looked readier than he has looked so far when being on the field. Now, look, we're dealing with stupidly small sample sizes in Trey Lance. Uh, 60 dropbacks in the regular season. I don't know how many he had in preseason, but it wasn't many either. Uh, where are we? Trey Lance, 53 in the preseason. So like 110 total dropbacks for Trey Lance in the NFL. It is a crazy small sample size. On the other hand, he has made way more mistakes mentally in those dropbacks than you saw from him in college. Now, obviously, massive jump up in competition, FCS level to the NFL. It's it's as big as it's going to get for a quarterback. Um, but I didn't I didn't see the flaws in terms of reading, ma- making reads, going through the progression, hitting the right guy, diagnosing coverages. I didn't see those in college, uh, and figured that would mean he would have a more successful transition than we have seen so far. Now, there's an argument that says. Well, just because you didn't see it didn't mean they existed. You know, like, you're, again, you're not facing the most difficult defenses in the world at the FCS level. Um, but I did think the Trey Lance would look better than we've seen from him so far. Again, albeit on just like, you know, tiny one start. Uh, I want to talk Justin Fields a little bit. There's been, because uh, okay. part of it's going to be explaining our grades and some of our stats. So I want to get into that. But first, don't forget, of course, it's football season. And you know what that means means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show. It is Manscaped. <laughs> Mans- <laughs> Manscaped. There it is. Uh, yeah, they sent us t-shirts. It's That's the most right. awkward reveal get- ever. Well, let's just be happy that all I revealed was a Manscaped shirt. Uh, blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF over at manscapes.com. It's 20% off plus free shipping if you go there right now. It's three and out the window with all other trimmers. That's right. Go tame that Wildcat offense right now. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. That's trademarked, by the way. The Lawnmower 4.0 is a 7,000 RPM motor, new multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock, and it gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. So you can do night games. You can also do... You can do night games, did you just say? Night games. Well, because you know I'm, you know where I'm going next. I Winter's coming, rain, snow, or sleet, they're no match. 
for the waterproof power of the 4.0. When you say night games, you're referring to like primetime football games as opposed to things you might do with a shaver in your nuts at night. I don't know what I meant, <laughs> but I'm just saying there's a light just, there and it's waterproof and you, it feels like you've got no limitations. When there. you start ad-libbing with the Manscaped read, I'm just saying you need to be very careful and specific about the words you're using because oh, yeah. you can get into some pretty uh, difficult territory. Yeah, care was not taken. Uh-huh. Care was not no, taken. No, no care. But there's uh, you Blindly might wanna... stepped with your big, whatever, size 16s right into the, right into the, the muddy waters of... I should skip to the stick to the script. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. Like, that's a good line. Didn't have to come up with it myself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code PFF and, uh, you know, stiff arm your pubes on your way to the playoffs. I can't that's believe- better than ad-libbing? It's Manscaped. Yes. Manscaped.com. <laughs> that's, been like, that's been like HR-approved language. Yours, who knows? Has it, though? I mean, not by our HR, but by no. somebody's. Um, I can't believe you're covering up the Manscaped t-shirt. Oh, I'm not. I, I just happen to be wearing it under my, my gaiters pullover here. I just like, you know, it's a, it's a small, discreet, Manscaped, your balls will thank you thing on the front. But what I'm people don't know. trying to figure know, out which way the, there it is. What people don't know is that on the back, there's the same thing written, but like all across the back, like size a million font. Your balls will thank you. Yeah. Right? yeah. I'm surprised you're not showing I, I will wear a Manscaped shirt that says Jingle Balls to the Wall during the holiday season Hell here. Yes. That I would, if you Maybe guys, that's what they're sending. Do you guys check in on our reads, Manscaped? <laughs> if you do, you should send that shirt. I really hope people are buying this crap because these, the, these are the best reads we have. I do too. I mean, again, we're all helping each other out here. We're giving you guys subscriptions for 25% off. We're giving you Manscaped discounts. You're having, you know, you're getting your ball they're, shaved. They're and fun reads. We're keeping Manscaped reads. They're here. fun reads and they're legitimately good products. And not just the uh, yes. not just the the wash bag that you seem to think. They're that up I love. to the 4.0. It's great. Uh, anyway, let's get into the let's get into the Justin Fields discussion. Oh God! Do you, um, do you know where Matt Nagy is right now? I don't. He's in an undisclosed location. I'm not even making that up. He he is not disclosing where he is working from now that he is uh, he has COVID. He's not in the building, but he won't tell anybody where he is. Why? I think because he's really, 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 really bad at dealing with the media. Yeah. Is my initial reaction to that. Like, Was he bad the last three years or is it just this year? I don't remember. I think maybe he was and nobody noticed because everybody was so focused on like Trubisky that we just didn't notice that like on a weekly basis, Matt and I was saying something that gets him into trouble. I don't know. We'd have to go back and check like the last two years worth of press conferences and stuff for Matt Nagy. And frankly, I say we should do that, but there's no way I'm doing that. Like if somebody wants to go and check how many dumb things he said over the last couple of years. Yeah, just throw some of our interns Go for it, but I'm I'm not doing that. All right. Well, there's... You want to get... What do you want to... There's just a lot of Justin Fields stuff to discuss. First off, I think there are some stats that are telling, and I want to educate some people on how to use the PFF stats and numbers. After having misled them yourself. I may have misled a bit, got some good traction. I may have misled you a little bit. So I want to explain that. Secondly, we have uh, Big Dano, Dan Orlovsky, going out there saying, just throw it all out. 2021 doesn't even count for Justin Fields. There's nothing you could take from this evaluation. Nothing. Can't take a thing from the evaluation. Just throw it. We're in week seven. It's over. Might as well, you might as well just throw him back on the bench and sit him because we we're not going to learn anything here. Um, so I'd love to get your reaction to that. Um, so the stat that I threw out there, and again, if you guys have uh, the elite package, you can get all these numbers, sacks that are directly attributed to the quarterback. 
and this means this is like there's no shared blame and there is not even a question this is only the quarterback directly is the important word there yes and i and i worded this really well but again this involves people understanding context and nuance and stuff like that and let's not let's not set that expectation on social media this is only the quarterback. Yes, they also have a hand in other times that they get sacked. But these are specifically the plays where you're sitting in a clean pocket and then you leave and you run into a sack. Or you're sitting in a clean pocket and you work backwards and all of a sudden your offensive lineman who's blocking for an 8-yard drop back has to try to block for an 18-yard drop back and like that doesn't exist. So the defender sees you and he goes and gets you. Or your rollout, you get that free rollout, right? You got nobody in your face and you have the option to throw it away or you're going to scramble or whatever it is and you don't throw it away you take the sack right so we can assign these directly to quarterbacks or you hold the ball for six seconds in the pocket you're just sitting there in the pocket and your blocker can't hold the block for six seconds and you get sacked um so on that in that particular number the guys who have the most sacks if i could find it uh where is it who's got the most sacks this is well done this is very well done kyler murray has eight that we've directly attributed to Kyler Murray. Seven for Zach Wilson. Your boy Davis Mills has six. Uh, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes each have six. Justin Fields, Ben Roethlisberger, Teddy Bridgewater, five. And of course, Fields has played far less football than all these other guys, so the five's a lot. But he's also been sacked a lot more times, so as a percentage. So there are people responding saying, hey, Fields only has five out of his million sacks or his, right? Um, but that's not exactly the case. So that, But that is one stat, and that is one way to put like 100% of the blame on the quarterback for a sack the other number that is more consistent is it's not even not even that it's more consistent but it's percentage of pressure dropbacks that turn into sacks and this is shockingly sam this one's also been misinterpreted because i have people bears fans saying well he's been pressured a ton i'm like that's this is percentage of your pressure dropbacks that turn into sacks and fields has the highest rate we mentioned this all throughout draft season he was at like 26, 27% last year at Ohio State, which would, be, which, which would be bad in the NFL. It's really bad for college. He's at 33%. So 33% of his pressured dropbacks become sacks. That is a high number, and it's a number that is generally pretty consistent for quarterbacks. The other guys at the top here, Baker Mayfield, Davis Mills, Russell Wilson, a lot of the same number. The guys, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill. I mentioned the Tannehill comp throughout this whole process, right? This is a number that Tannehill's been bad at. When, he, when Tannehill throws the ball, he's good. But pocket presence-wise, he's taken more negative plays than he should. Fields has that element to his game. Joe Burrow's up there right now. Also, Kyler Murray. Um, so I just wanted to kind of explain that stuff and also talk through it. Like, this isn't unexpected stuff. A lot of people are trying to explain away Justin Fields' struggles or just ignore them. But I think these are warning sign things that we either saw in, that we saw in college that are you know, the spotlight's on them that much greater here in the NFL. Yeah. The problem with this Justin Fields thing is it's way too nuanced for people to, like, we live in a world where it's somebody's fault. And if it's not your fault, it's their fault. If it's not their fault, it's his fault. It's somebody's fault. It can't be everybody's fault. It can't be a complex, like, web of fault. But that's what it is. So Justin Fields has certain stylistic elements to his game that do not help the situation that he's in and in fact make it worse like just we talk about force multipliers and we usually talk about it in a good way you add jamar chase 
to the Bengals offense and that is a force multiplier for good it makes Burrow better it makes the offensive line better it makes number two number three receivers better it makes everybody better and it compounds and makes them better than just the addition of Jamar Chase it is a force multiplier for good on the Cincinnati Bengals offense Justin Fields the way he plays the game right now is a force multiplier for bad for the things that are wrong with the Chicago Bears offense. It has an offensive line that isn't good. Now, the offensive line also is not garbage. It's being made to look worse. It's not as bad as everybody says. Correct. It has a a play, it has a collection of plays right now that are not good and are therefore not scheming receivers open quickly in a way that would make everybody look better. Now, Justin Fields, again, is not helping that, so that looks worse than it actually is. All of these things are coming together, compounding on each other, and the the situation looks worse than it should be. Like, no, each part of that is looking worse than it is on its own because all of them together have this compounding negative effect. So the issue with this thing is, you know, you make the point, hey, Justin Fields holding on to the ball too long. And then you're going to have somebody going through all these plays where he's buried after two seconds being like, what's your, what are you talking about? Like, this is, none of these plays are his fault. You're like, no, none of those plays were his fault, but other plays were. Yeah. And that's the issue, right? And same thing with the offensive line. Like you go, well, okay, all these plays make him look terrible. Yes, but there's a bunch of other plays where they don't. Like his average time to sack is actually pretty high. We think of all the, you can look at the plays where he gets buried after two seconds. Most of the plays are not those plays. His offensive line is doing a better job than people think he is. So Ben Baldwin tweeted this graph that was like PFF team pass blocking grade against uh, sack rate, right? And it has Justin Fields off on an island on his own at the top in terms of massively high sack rate. But his pass blocking, the team's pass blocking grade was somewhere in the middle. I think it was slightly below average, right? The point is, for a quarterback to be so far off on his own in terms of where that plotted, it's not a protection problem. It's something else. Now, it doesn't mean it's entirely a Justin Fields problem, though we know that that particular sort of data point is quite quarterback driven. But it's also the other elements of the passing game. So it's like it's the receivers being open. It's the play design. It's all those different things. It isn't the pass protection in its entirety. Right. Because the pass protection essentially is slightly below average. And the other point to make about that is a slightly below average pass blocking group will typically manifest itself in uh, reasonable play, reasonable play, and then like catastrophic breakdown, right? So like a below average pass blocker typically gets whooped a few times a game. And those are the plays you remember. So in your brain, you're like, this is the worst pass blocking group in the history of humanity, right? Because <laughs> you remember the, the, the ass kickings they got. Right. That's how that like manifests itself. But on that same graph, you have Tua, whose offensive line is miles worse than the Bears. Like, I cannot stress that enough. Tua is working behind a vastly inferior offensive line than the Bears. But Tua has one of the lowest sack rates in the NFL. So something is happening there between the quarterbacks and the passing game to go from one of the worst sack rates in the NFL to, in fact, the worst sack rate in the NFL to one of the best. It's something in the passing game. It isn't the pass protection. And it's not just, and we talked the other day about the Dolphins offense, like RPO, RPO, right. RPO. That is protecting the offensive yes. line, right? That because is, on an RPO, you're run blocking. And that's stuff that the offense and the play calling should be doing and isn't doing enough of yeah. and wouldn't be a field-specific thing. But I think fields 
and the play calling and the offensive design, like all those things are working together, making it worse than it should be. I'm looking for numbers to kind of like, because I, I also get that perception watching games. I have this feeling that the Bears offensive line is bad because I'm remembering those highlights too. And right. I'm looking for numbers to back them up. Again, they're not great, but even just average. They're not even good. Like they are below average. Yeah. But there's a world between below average and disaster. Right. And, and I'll give an example that I made earlier in this year as well. But their average time to pressure when Fields is out there is over 2.5. Right. That's middle of the pack. That's not crazy. There are teams that are in the 2-3 range that are actually, when pressure comes, it is faster and the Bears aren't in there. And the example I used earlier in the year was the, of the, in the Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase debate and all that stuff. Remember, there was the, the touchdown pass Joe Burrow threw against the Steelers. He got rid of the ball in 2.1 seconds because Jamar Chase was open. He throws the goal ball. But Cameron Hayward had one of his best pass rushes of the season, right? He absolutely destroys the guard, probably gets a really high PFF grade, but the ball was out. Right, and, and Burrow wasn't even pressured on that play. It didn't even count as a pressure because the ball was out so quickly. So you mitigate bad blocking and you mitigate pressure by getting rid of the ball. And sometimes that's on the quarterback. And I think you're also making a good point. Uh, Nate Tice from The Athletic has made this point about um, the route concepts and these other, you know, there's not an outlet for him. There's not this or that for fields. There's not stuff baked in uh, to be able to get rid of, rid of the ball a little bit quicker. There are other plays where I think I mentioned the other day, Fields is working the wrong side in quick game. And it's like, yeah, he gets hit. He probably shouldn't, though. Even with bad blocking, he probably shouldn't have gotten hit on that play. Um, he had a strip sack the other day where uh, uh, Devin White was directly in his face. Like, between me and you, Devin White as, with his 4-4 speed, and Fields tried to make a calculated decision. He was kind of looking off to the side. He, but you should feel this. 4-4 linebacker is you know, a yard or two away from me and I'm going to go through my full throwing motion to try to throw the ball and he gets strip sacked. He didn't time it up well. He didn't feel it. All of these things are true, right? I'm, I'm with you. Create the web of, you know, multiple reasons for this stuff, even if the, the nuance gets lost on things. And I think, part, I think part of the reason that that offensive line possibly looks worse than it is is because when they get beaten quickly, he seems to be... It, it, it results in the worst possible situation. Like, Fields fumbles a lot. Now, again, yeah. they're not, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that these fumbles are necessarily Fields' fault, but I'm saying if you get beat quickly and at the end of that play, the quarterback loses the ball and it's a fumble, you are going to remember that as a catastrophic error way more than you would if he just gets popped, bounces up, and moves on, right? Is that reasonable to say? Yeah. So, I, I, initially, I thought what it was is that maybe they were losing when they were losing quickly it was in like high leverage situations <laughs> would it surprise you to know that the bears have a top three pass blocking grade on third down yeah right yeah because again i, I come up i come away from the game so it isn't that but, with that perception as well but fields does have a ton of fumbles so i think yeah. what it might be is that when they lose hard it results in fields fumbling the ball and yes. so you're like oh look at this this offensive line is getting them killed out there it's turning the ball over we look miserable um one more point to go back to the dan, Or dan orlowski point <clears throat> and look, Mina Kimes, friend of the show, uh, was kind of defending him a little bit on Twitter. Obviously, they're on the same show and the same segment. And she was like, look, if you want to you parse like the actual specific words that everybody uses when they're live on TV or live on a podcast trying to make a point, you can make everything look pretty bad, right? If you take it in the worst possible way or the literal sense. The point he's trying to make is that the situation around him is terrible and you can't judge Justin Fields based off what's happening this year, right? 
there's a degree of truth to that. The I, problem is... Yeah, and I'll give you an exa another example of that, too. Yep. The problem to me, though, is that the inevitable conclusion to that is, why is he playing now, then? And you are one of the people yeah. that pushed to put him in the lineup, yeah. right? There were a lot of people that were pitchforks and torches hammering down Matt Nagy's door and were like, put in the rookie right now. Need it. You must right. put him in. That's how I'm you... I'm sick of seeing Andy Dalton. Need to see Justin right. Fields. Now you're saying that the situation around him is so bad that you can't take anything from his, uh, from his season. And if anything, that has to put it pretty close to the point of, well, is it damaging him then? Which is the question I would raise. But my point is... That, I haven't seen that question raised other than right. maybe from you. <laughs> but the point is, like, th that's the inevitable conclusion of that, right? If, you're, if you can't learn anything from what Justin Fields is going through right now, then why are you putting him through it? And why is he starting? And remember, you're a person that wanted that and insisted that had to happen. Now, you can make the case that, hey, look, in, in a few months' time, this might not be an issue because maybe Matt Nagy gets fired or they clean house or whatever happens, then we get to learn. But again, like the, the only purpose in any of this is Justin Fields is the presumed future face of the franchise and the guy who's gonna lead you somewhere good. In your take, in your, you, the people that are saying this, in the eyes of those people, what needs to happen for that to be the case is people get fired, a change in regime, whatever. But it means that right now, all you're doing is exposing him to damage. Yeah. Having campaigned to get him in the lineup. So the, um, the, question, the question I would bring up, what, which other quarterbacks through the years have been in a, a similar situation. Let's pretend that the Bears situation is as bad as it gets. Let's pretend the offensive line is as bad as perception. Let's pretend that the route concepts make no sense. Matt Nagy's an idiot, all of that stuff. And see, you see, if you just cut that clip, you would think that I was saying Matt Nagy's an idiot, but I was really saying, let's assume all of these things are true. The social team got that one ready. Let's assume all of those things are true. Who else in recent history has been, I'll give you two names, guys that have been in that level of situation. Jared Goff in 2016 as a rookie with the Rams, mm -hmm. where it was just everything was bad yep. under Jeff Fisher. And then 2018, Josh Rosen with the Arizona Cardinals, the, the worst pass-blocking grade for any team in PFF history, <laughs> also with nobody to throw to besides like year 15, Larry Fitzgerald. That was Josh Rosen's situation. I don't think, could you learn anything from those quarterbacks in that? And so here's what happened with those two quarterbacks. Jared Goff went from the worst situation in the NFL to one of the best with Sean McVay. And we're, we'll see. I don't know how much Jared Goff evidence there is this year with how bad the situation is again in Detroit. But he turned Jared Goff into a Super Bowl caliber quarterback for whatever that's worth. Uh, they went to a Super Bowl with him. Josh Rosen never got out of it with Arizona. It actually was telling that there was no signs of life coming out of that offense and he's never salvaged his career. So with that said, again, can both things be true? Yeah. Would, am I, do I think that Justin Fields' ceiling might actually be a little bit lower than I anticipated because of what I've seen this year? Maybe. Can he also come out of it in a better situation like Jared Goff did and make a run and play some good football? Absolutely. Like Again, both things can be true. But I think there might be something in this evaluation that it is so bad right now and Fields isn't making it better, that that might be a bit of a concern. One team with a worse pass-blocking grade collectively than the Chicago Bears is the New England Patriots because they haven't had their starting offensive line, right? They've been 
decimated. They've had to play rookies. They've had to play backups. All these guys have either been injured or had COVID or all these things. Like Mac Jones has actually been dealing with this second string offensive line for most of the time, and it hasn't been great. Mac Jones has a PFF grade above 80 and is by far the best looking rookie quarterback. And it's not like Mac Jones has a ton of weapons to throw to either. Now, I will happily concede that I think the Patriots have done a better job as a scheme of mitigating those problems than the Chicago Bears have. But again, if you are of the opinion that like you you can't make the argument that Justin Fields' offensive line and the protection is so catastrophic that he has no earthly opportunity to succeed because Mac Jones is doing so. And look, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, their offensive line, their pass protection has been much better. It's still lower graded than the Chicago Bears pass blocking is. Like there are teams out there that are perfectly functional with the level of pass blocking that Justin Fields has been dealing with. Okay, I found the number to confirm that the bad is really bad for the Bears. The percentage of quick pressures so pressures that do so the average time to pressure is high because fields has some of those plays where he he brings it upon himself late sure they do have a quick pressure rate so pressure that comes in 2.5 or faster is 28 percent of dropbacks or of total pressures of uh, <laughs> pass plays 28 percent. that is that's pretty high that is the highest that's second highest in the league behind uh davis mills and the texans right um so that so so again Depending on how you slice and dice the numbers, I think you can confirm or deny priors or perception and all that stuff. The quick pre- the pressure is coming quicker on a per-snap basis, though, with Justin Fields. When it comes. When it comes. Yeah. Um, but your point on Mac Jones is an interesting one because when you every time we talk about Mac Jones, what was impressive? Got a guy in his face. He's throwing it. He's got a guy in his face. He's throwing it. He's got a guy in his face, and he's throwing it and making some big throws and throwing the ball accurately. That that goes back to that number percentage of pressure dropbacks that become sacks. Mac Jones is making accurate throws under pressure. Justin Fields is 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 getting sacked more often. Um, and to be clear, I do kind of agree with the idea that like this year is basically a write off for Justin Fields. Like I don't think you're going to learn anything good from him this year. But I do think that there is there are things to be learned from. I mean. Dan Orlovsky even said something like, oh, these problems that we're seeing from him now are the same problems that he had at Ohio State, but they don't mean anything about him going forward. I would argue they kind of do. Like, if you've seen the same thing from a guy in college and the NFL, albeit in a very limited sample size with a crappy situation around him, I mean, it's not going to be that easy to suddenly make that not a thing. Right. Like, you don't just, you don't just change a player's traits from the from like what you've seen from him consistently going forward so if that has been a thing that's that's held up now what you're saying is in order for this not to be a problem we need to like completely overhaul the situation around him where it's no longer affecting things the way it is right now uh just on the other end of that spectrum a lot when i posted these stats a lot of people said who are the best quarterbacks at avoiding sacks when they're under pressure and number one is uh my favorite player josh allen uh, fantastic. Now, the, the list is an interesting list, right? Josh Allen, 8.4%. So that's when he's pressured, only 8, 8.4% turn into sacks. And that's not a number he's been good at for his entire career. But he's gotten better at it every single year. So if you are a, a, a Fields guy, you would point to the Josh Allen progression. I did look it up. Fields has literally, uh, Allen's gotten better at this every single year. It's a very consistent number year to year. But again, Josh Allen seems to be bucking a lot of trends here. Um, he has gotten better at it. Then you have Matt Ryan because he just gets rid of the ball. Taylor Heineke, he's more of a scrambler. He's it's a that's a surprising name 
given his yeah. style. Matthew Stafford, he's getting rid of the ball quickly, 11.7. Kirk Cousins, Tua, who you mentioned. Trevor Lawrence is good at this number. Keep in mind Andrew Luck comp. This was, Luck was awesome at this number. He did not take a lot of sacks, even though he invited a lot of pressure. Tom Brady's up there. Jalen Hurts is up there, which I'm a little surprised by. And then Jameis. The way, like, there are people out there that think that, reasonably so, that, like, a sack rate is essentially a pass blocking number, right? Yeah. The, the rate at which you are sacked and the rate at which you uh, get sacks or be, get sacked when you're pressured, those are protection numbers. And there's a degree to which they are, right? Like when you, if you have a bad enough offensive line, you are going to get buried regardless of how good you are. But it is a very, what we have learned is that it is a very, very, um, malleable number when it comes to quarterbacks like quarterbacks can influence that more than anything else including like swapping out a tackle is going to have less of an impact than like changing from a quarterback that's not good at this to a quarterback that is good at this and one of the right ways Peyton Manning was always one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at this statistic didn't matter what protection you put in front of him he wasn't going to take a sack he was so good at that quick adjustment that when pressure comes I know where I'm going with the ball it's not where I wanted to go with the ball but I can get it out of my hands so that you don't sack me because that's a negative play. So there are these all-time lists of, you know, most sacked player ever, all those kinds of things. Manning is nowhere on those lists. Oh, no, he was incredible at that. Like, Did not take negative plays. Eli Manning has a much higher sack rate than Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning played a lot yeah. longer. Like, these are the things. There are... And Peyton did it not to the detriment of, like, throwing the ball down the field, right. which made him so special. There, are, Obviously, Peyton Manning is, like, you know, the top few of every sort of cumulative passing statistic in NFL history, except sack rate and except total sacks. He did not take a lot of sacks. He was so good at this. So if you have a quarterback that no, understands how to do this, you don't need to take a lot of sacks, even if you don't have a good offensive line. Remember, they started, like, Tony Hugo for a while, who was, like, a human... <laughs> turn style and it didn't matter NFL fans hungry for a big win this week well DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL they get you covered new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and if they do you win $200 in free bets winner winner chicken dinner it's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. So you can go find the heavy favorites, is my suggestion. All they have to do is win. And you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code PFF, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Bet you didn't think that Tony Hugo would be randomly catching a stray on an October 2021 podcast. I know you very well, so I'm, you know, it actually, it's on my bingo card. <laughs> Uh, we haven't mentioned Christian Hackenberg, who's like my free space. We haven't mentioned him in a while. He's my free space on the Sam Bingo card. I'm going to come up with a new crappy offensive lineman that the Colts put in front of Peyton Manning so that I don't use Tony Hugo next time. Who did they? They had a bad right tackle for a while too, right? They had a lot of bad players. Ryan Lilja. Lilja? Ryan was all right. I'm just trying to think of You're names trying to here. think of old Colts linemen? Trying to think of names. Anthony Costanzo started off slow, but he became a real good solid player. Yeah. Just not for Peyton. <laughs> they drafted him for Peyton, and then, you know. Well, some, some unfortunate things happen. We Dang broke God. down the Manning cast, by the way. Uh, listen, the read says, winner, winner, chicken dinner. I did not. Uh, I'll 
I'm just saying. Some people out there want to die when you do that. Uh, the Manning cast. Uh, we broke it down on the PFF Daily. That was fun. Uh, Daily's on YouTube, by the way. And uh, that's another thing. As you're emailing, I do want to give away. We're giving away the 25% off. I want to give away Edge subscriptions to people that are subscribed to both the PFF NFL Daily and the PFF NFL Podcast. So send those screenshots that you're subscribed to both NFL Podcast at PFF.com. And uh, I'll give away. If we get over 100, again, I'm not there yet. If we get over 100, we're at like 25 people that sent that in. If we get over 100, I will give away an Edge subscription to somebody that sent in a screenshot. All right? All right, what else you want to? What else do we put on this list here? Uh, Whoa, something wrong with the Chiefs offense? Oh, God. Did you do a deep dive on Patrick Mahomes and his turnover-worthy plays? Did you do a little deep dive? I mean, sort of. Like, again, this came from... Came from a social clip of Mina Kimes essentially saying that there's nothing wrong with the Chiefs' offense. They've got a ton of turnovers. Same thing we've been saying. There's, they've actually been pretty successful, but they've had a ton of turnovers, and we know the turnovers are variants. Therefore, the Chiefs' offense is fine. This this meshes with uh, an email here. Okay. That I'll get into. Good. Keep going. So anyway, um, several people on social media of the analytics community, TM, were like. Yeah, I agree with Mina. I stand with Mina. The Chiefs' offense is fine. They're, they're Patrick. Well, like, the, I think I can't remember where I said it. EPA. Well, EPA. EPA. That's what they were doing. If you don't like the banging on the table, I thing, was doing that on purpose. You that was hated the last ten seconds of the show. Um, the EPA's EPA's the EPA, but also the idea that that Patrick Mahomes actually has a lower turnover-worthy play rate this year than last year and the year before that, I think. So. It isn't that he's turning the ball over more often uh, or putting the ball in harm's way more often. It's that he's getting more unlucky. Like, he had a unfeasibly low turnover rate compared to the, the amount he was putting the ball in harm's way for the last couple of years. Yeah. This season, it's the other way, right? He's like 100%, which is not to say that every turnover-worthy play has been turned over, but it's to say that he has the same number of turnovers as turnover-worthy plays. Like, remember, there are... There are turnover-worthy plays that do not result in turnovers. There are also not turnover-worthy plays that result in turnovers. So that those are not the same plays, but it's the same number. Right. Um, so anyway, they were arguing this, including the good doctor, Eric Eager, from the PFF forecast. And he was using that turnover-worthy play number to say, look, this is all it's changed is the luck is the variance of, um, of the turnovers. And like statistically, you assume that disappears every week right because it's like tossing a coin just because you come up heads 10 times doesn't mean the next one is is going to be heads it's like statistically it's going to regress back to 50 50 the way it always does so with turnover luck you assume that like tomorrow patrick mahomes goes back to a normal level of turnover luck and when that happens the chief's offense is fine my argument is simply that i don't think you can assume that one because it hasn't happened yet and we've seen improbable statistical runs go on for a while now we've kind of put that down to luck and variance but maybe there's actually something driving it which was my second point as much as his turnover worthy play rate has been the same he does have more bad turnover worthy plays this year uh if you so turnover worthy plays in our system is essentially any play with a minus one or worse grade this is where the email comes in uh from Mahomes or for any quarterback um but we have much more room in the scale for than that. We have minus 1.5. We have minus twos. You can get a lot worse than just a minus one. And if you look at the minus 1.5s or worse, Mahomes has one fewer than all of last season, including the playoffs. 
Um, he has basically double the worst rate of his career so far in bad turnover. The real plays. bad ones. And so those, I think, are important. Andy, uh, how would you pronounce F-E-H-L? Fell? Andrew Fell? Sure. Uh, so he, he was bringing this point up. He, was, he said, uh, this was the other day. I was listening to today's podcast, and you were discussing how Mahomes has more turnover-worthy plays last year than this year. Do you think it could be more predictive to have a degradation of turnover-worthiness instead of a yes or no? Is there a possibility, possibly a spot in the middle for semi-worthy and super-worthy and the whole thing? And the answer is yes, and what you just described is what we've done. Uh, by the way, it's nice to see my baby turnover-worthy plays and big, my two babies, big-time throws, becoming more mainstream. You notice? Mm. More mainstream. You're starting to see it now that we have it in PSV2 and the whole now it's now that, that those numbers are a part of your elite package 25 yeah, percent off with NFL pod um, now that we've added them you know it's they're being used more but that's the point right so we did it we, we looked at this the other day we lump minus one minus 1.5 minus two into the turnover worthy play bucket as you said but historically a minus one play gets turned over about 30 35 percent of the time minus 1.5 plays more like 60. And a minus two play is more like 80-85. Minus two plays are very rarely dropped interceptions. They're so bad. Right. Um, so you might argue that a minus one maybe shouldn't be that bad. That, you know, something that's turned over 30 to 40% of the time. Like that's still look at that thread. That's a bad play either way. But the point is there are levels of turnover worthiness to uh, answer Andrew's point. We do have that baked in. We do roll them all up into one number. But on a per-play basis, Mahomes' turnover worthy plays are worse in fact, uh, there might be a um, accounting snafu too because he had two on one play. So uh, I don't know that we have the ability to add two to one play. So there might be an extra one. I'm really. <laughs> you were just picking it up. I am. I am. But I'm what trying to doing? inform people that uh, on one play, he did drop a snap, recover it, and then get up there and, you know, have another turnover with play for an interception. My overall point with all of this is that. I don't think we can act as if this is the same Chiefs offense that we've seen in 2018, 19, 20, just with added turnovers, right? There, is, there are fundamental differences to what is happening with Mahomes and with the Chiefs offense that cannot simply be explained by, well, he's had a few balls bounce off the hands of his receivers and those have been caught by defenders and therefore they've turned the ball over in opposing territory. That's the only difference, right? If you look like explosive pass play percentage, this year, the Chiefs ranked 28th in the NFL. The year before, second. The year before that, 11th. The year before that, second. So the 2018 one is the interesting one because that's the year where they had a garbage defense as well, which is another influencing factor in all this. The 2018 version of the Chiefs ranked second in explosive pass play rate. This year's version ranks 28th. In addition to that, Mahomes is making more hideous mistakes with the ball than he has in the past. Like, there are differences. Now I'm not saying that if the luck, like if if the interception luck does go back to normal, you probably don't notice them. Like they're small enough that you're not saying like is there anything wrong with the Chiefs' offense? It's probably enough for them to overcome all the issues anyway. But I don't think you can just say there's no problem. So they're not creating the same explosives while the riskiness is more extreme. Right, and I think teams are frustrating them into making more mistakes or more glaring mistakes like the fact that they can't create those big explosive plays the the team that i always got reminded of with kansas city was that 98 vikings offense with randy moss and chris carter and jake reed and randall cunningham and robert smith and all these explosive playmakers 
And it felt like no matter what the game was and no matter how much they got in a hole, it didn't matter because everybody there believed that we were only ever 30 seconds away from putting up 14 points and erasing whatever the gap is, right? And that's what you felt like with this Chiefs offense, the Houston game, right? We're down, what, 24 points or something? Who cares? Yeah. Like, we'll roll, we'll get it back, not a problem. We'll put up 24 points in the next 10 minutes. It's not a thing. And that's exactly what they did. Every time they got in a hole, it was like, well, forget the run game. Let's just ball out and put the points on. Now you don't have that feeling anymore. And I think more importantly, they don't have that feeling anymore. They are acutely aware that they don't have those big explosive plays just on tap the way they used to. And they're also aware that they've been turning the ball over a lot. And they're also aware that their defense is going to give up points still. So all of those three things together, it's not your granddaddy's Chiefs offense. It's different. Do you, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I used used to give them used to, like three weeks ago. Right. Was giving them so much credit for those games where they're patient, right? Because in part, I mean, I, I remember the games off the top, like the Chargers game week two last year. The Chargers did a really good job of stopping the Chiefs until Mahomes had one of the best throws of the season on the run to Tyree Kill for like 70 yards. And it, and it was like, oh, here's your explosive. They, they had those games where it was like, I'll take the five yard out, five yard out, screen here and there, hitch, curl. It's all there. Take it, take it, take it. Mahomes doesn't miss those throws. They, they continue to move the chains. And then there's one, one or two of those big time throws when they need it or a big time play at the end. I mean, even week one, it was against the Browns, right? Patient, 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 take all the underneath stuff. Oh, here's a 70 yarder to Tyree Kill. And those are, those are the, it's essentially those plays are turned into turnovers instead right. of the explosives is what my, you're saying. I didn't have uh, no plays filtered when I did my explosive play thing, but it actually works in my favor. They go. go from second, uh, their, their numbers are now second in 2020, seventh in 2019, not 11th, and first in 2018. So in the last three years, they've been second, seventh, and first in this statistic. And this year, they are 27th, I think, once the no plays are turned on. So again, this is a fundamental difference. The, the, like the term that was thrown out there was there's no fundamental reason that this Kansas City Chiefs... Fundamental. Yes, and I didn't use it. Somebody else brought it up. There's this no is, fundamental like reason for you. that the Chiefs offense is struggling relative to previous years. I think there might be. We're just not looking for it hard enough let me add some context here so Mahomes I'll do some quick math here you mentioned the the degradation that uh, Andrew mentioned right he has 64 uh, percent of his turnover worthy plays are on the high end on that it's like 60 to 85 percent this is going to become a turnover last year eight out of 25 uh sorry eight out of 23 so was you know that's over 33 percent but, you know, 35% or so. 23 is a prime number. It's not something you just do off the top of your head. But 8 for 22 is 36%. 8 for 24 is 33%. So it's you like right in the middle can't there. can't be the percentage guy. It's like 34.8%. If you're going to mail it in once you get to a prime number, because that's just, where the I math gets too difficult. I do, I do batting averages in my head. So, right. you know. So this year, the number here's the number to answer this question. Is, is Mahomes more unlucky this year? Uh-huh. In one, if you just use total number, No. If you use how bad the play was based off our grading, which historically is indicative of whether or not it's going to become a turnover. You mean that in reverse, right? Is he more lucky this year or unlucky this year? Is he more unlucky this year? Yes. So I'm answering that question. Yeah, but you said it the other way around. Okay. So is Mahomes more unlucky this year? If you just use total number, yes. 
If you're just using total number, yes, he's too, he's more unlucky. If you're using how bad the turnover play worthy plays were, he's not, or he is right. an expected it's more, it's level more of marginal. Market, right. So other, again, once sixty four percent of his turnover worthy plays this year are of the worst kind. Right. And last year it was only thirty four percent. And there are other numbers that say that he's actually more lucky this more lucky this year, like he or more unlucky this year rather, in terms of like other numbers that would be influencing this. He has a lower drop rate from his receivers this year than in previous years. Now those drops have ended up bouncing into the hands of defenders, so it's been like a, d- a double edged sword there. But there are things working in his favor this year as well. Like it isn't yeah. just bad luck those few plays. Um, so he had this level of luck in the Super Bowl, by the way. He had four, I believe, in the 49ers game. And by the way, like a bad fumble is on that bad end of the scale. He's got a bunch of those fumbles. He had two just this weekend. Again, not the one that's a strip sack that you really can't avoid. The ones that are avoidable right. where it's poor ball security. Mahomes has had a few of those. So anyway, my point is essentially I don't think that it's necessarily a given that this turnover run that they're on is simply variance and will swing back in the direction of middle of the road. It will to a degree because there's certainly luck involved. Like, you know, we can all think of the plays that hit a receiver in the hands and bounce into defenders. That is bad luck. But there are also other things driving this. And, you know, the idea that we've talked about before that Mahomes is is making some of the same plays, but in like inherently those are risky plays. Like the, the interception he threw in the direction of Josh Gordon this past week, that was a throw where at no point was it ever open. But Mahomes yeah. takes chances that if you put the ball in the air with a defender whose back is to you and just put it in the vicinity of the receiver, he will make a play and bail him out, right? Not well, bail him out is the wrong word. You take a chance. You put it in the air, your receiver makes the play, and then at the end of that, you're like, how does Mahomes do it? It's incredible. He's not human, yeah. right? But the risk is you put the ball in the air and the defender doesn't buy it and sticks an arm out and bats it up in the air. And now it's a pick. Now that's the most unlucky way that can work out. But it's not like that isn't the risk every time you attempt that pass. And he attempts that pass a lot. Like, that's how he plays the game. Yeah. So this was, to an extent, an inevitable result of the way Mahomes plays. And now it's not being offset by an 80-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill every week. Like, this is part of the issue. The, uh, the other part of it, too, like there was one early in the season where it was a miscommunication on a scramble drill. And again, most of the time when we're evaluating this, we will not absolve the the quarterback but just not completely blame the quarterback when there's a miscommunication right if you know now there are times when we can clearly see the receiver should have run this the quarterback should not have thrown that whatever it is but that was another one where we kind of said eh it's not like he expected Travis Kelsey to be in a certain spot is it a little risky is it a Mahomesian type of play that usually works out and it didn't this time yes and it turned into an interception because he was but it was risky in the in the sense that he was expecting Kelsey to do a thing right. on the scramble drill. Kelsey didn't do it and, it, and he threw the ball right to a defender. Where it's like, ah, I could see what Mahomes is thinking, but it's inherently like a boomer bust type of play. And even those types of plays, that, the Josh Gordon yeah. one, they're coming back to bite this year. But again, like, those are the ones I would res- expect to kind of come back down to earth. To an extent, but there's also a degree to which they were, he was always riding the other end of that scale for a while. Like, True. Every one of these numbers where you look at the sheet and it's like Mahomes in his old little world, and you're like, oh, maybe the rules just really don't apply to Mahomes. He's a freak. Maybe he is human, and he was just writing like a run of insanely high variance for a while. And, okay, he might be writing the other end of that. Like, he's gone all the way over the crest of the wave, and now he's down in the trough. So somewhere in the middle is where he actually lives. But 
like we might have to start reassessing the the idea that like the rules of play don't uh, don't apply to Patrick Mahomes like maybe they actually do and he was just able to to buck them for a longer period of time than people typically are able to let me wrap up the Mahomes argument with this though as much as we want to talk about the turnovers and they're a factor the positively graded plays the plays where he is moving the chains on passes beyond the sticks and all that stuff those are far and few between this year compared to previous seasons that is ultimately that's probably that, that's as big of the difference, I think, as maybe the turnover-worthy plays. The offense is still moving the ball overall. The turnovers are happening and all that stuff. They're not creating – you mentioned explosives. They're not creating explosives. They're not creating just general open passes beyond right. the sticks. And we're seeing games where Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are contained, which used to not really happen all that often. And by the way, it should go without saying, but this is the world where you need to say everything. Um, obviously, the biggest – problem with the Chiefs right now is that their defense is one of the worst in the NFL yes and if that goes from like terrible to below average there are all of these problems disappear overnight yeah the 2018 Chiefs were generally able to overcome it other than a few games but the 2018 Chiefs is why the offense is still a problem because this version is not doing what the 2018 version did with similarly terrible defenses impacting them and the other thing I'll say, too, that I keep – I always made this Chiefs, Patriots, Dynasty. Like, this is what we expected the Chiefs to be. Uh, the Patriots had seasons where – I mean, how many years was, like, the Dynasty over? Like, 15 straight years? Oh, this is the year. It's over. Like, they lost by a million to the Chiefs on Sunday Night like, Monday Night Football, whatever. Uh, why you get, why you got to bring that game up? Well, I mean, because sometimes people overreact and they're like, oh, Tom Brady's done. It's like uh, – People. 12 years later. People. Just huh? people. Ah, oh, people were doing it. This guy from ESPN wrote this article about Tom Brady being cooked. Mm. Mm-hmm. Special contributor ESPN, Sam Monson, back in 2014. All right. Uh, anyway, all I'm saying is the Patriots uh, dynasty or dynasty for some people here, uh, they faced adversity. You know, I mean, that, that's the nature of the NFL. We've talked about that on here. Sean McVay faced adversity a couple years ago. He had to adjust his offense. It's okay for a great team which the Chiefs have been the last three years to face adversity and now like let's see like are they going to continue to be one of the best teams in the NFL or have they hit a significant roadblock in their team build in their dynasty effort you know I mean that's the storyline we're following here that's why we're talking about it so much it's a it's a big deal here uh in 2021 yeah uh now we got to talk about the injury ravaged Green Bay Packers playing the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday night. Oh, are we previewing that game on this show? Yeah, quickly. I forgot about that. Uh huh. Who's available? Nobody. No. Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. Adams and Lazard are probably out, which out. leaves them with, you know, not that much. Oh, man, this is a good game. The spread's gone. What's it now? It started at three. Arizona by three, which again is essentially saying that the six and one Packers and the seven and oh Cardinals are even teams. Cardinals get the home field advantage. Now, last time I saw it was six and a half. Yeah, six and a half. Still. Six and a half. Uh, so they're saying all of these Packers injuries are going to be worth three and a half points here, about yeah. the, as of Wednesday afternoon here. I mean, this is really interesting. I'm kind of bummed that we don't get to see like the fully healthy, healthy version of each team. I know. Um, but it becomes really interesting of like, like the narrative has been for years. Rodgers to Adams is phenomenal. It's like career pass rating like 123 or something. But when you have to go beyond Devontae Adams, that's when the problems arise. Okay, well, what happens if you don't even have Devontae Adams and you have to roll with it before? Now, obviously, it's not the first time we've ever seen Rodgers without Devontae Adams. Um, but it is fascinating now that he's going up against this undefeated team who keep 
proving week after week after week that they can cause problems. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want I, I keep wanting the, the Cardinals defense to uh, to prove to prove it to me. This would have been one of those games. Hey, prove it against the Packers. Now it's it's a little bit easier, but again, I think they're doing they're doing some nice things, disguising coverages, using their safeties, their versatile linebackers. Pass rush has been solid up front with JJ Watt and Chandler Jones coming back and the whole deal. So uh, it's a, it's a good development, I guess, for Arizona. Obviously, that sure uh, it looks like it's going to be a little bit easier. Not that any NFL game's easy, but uh, Rogers going to have to play superhuman, I think, in this one. Which he's certainly capable of doing. Um, and by the way, like another receiver, like Valdez Scantling, still an IR, right? Yeah, believe so. So that's essentially their top Where's three my... receivers that you would be rolling with normally. Like it's going to be the likes of Randall Cobb, uh, Amari Rogers, the rookie. I mean, you're, you're going to see a ton of Aaron Jones. You might even see a ton of Aaron Jones lining up at receiver um, to give him somewhere to go with the ball. Maybe a ton of Robert Tunyon. Like these are the players that he's going to have to get it done with, which again, it's Rodgers, anything is possible, but that's a hell of a more difficult task than taking the play to Devontae Adams against a cornerback that he will be vastly uh, superior than in a, on a one-on-one matchup. Do we uh, have anyone else that's out that we know because of COVID? Yeah, M- MVS is still on injured reserve. Guys like Preston Smith, questionable. Uh, what was I going to say with the Cardinals too? Oh, uh, the, it's either one person that's bugging us or multiple people wanting us to just give credit to Rashawn Gary because he's having a good season. No, it's one guy. It's one guy that yeah. just keeps bugging us. So Rashawn Gary's having a good season. He is. He's having a breakout year in year three. It's a weird victory lap to take, though, because it's year three. Like, how far into a guy's career can he break out and you still be right about the draft pick? Right. You know what I mean? Because at some point, if you have to pay him a second contract... I mean, you're not getting the value. You're not getting right. the value on that rookie contract. Yes. But for perspective, Rashawn, Rashawn Gary right now, fifth in the NFL with 35 pressures. He's got an 83.6 pass rush grade. That is, uh, let's see, when we re-rank it, that's also eighth. And you know, he did start showing these signs down the stretch last year. Week 16 through early in the playoffs, he was one of the better edges in the NFL. Disappeared a little bit in the conference championship game, but... Yeah, he's been good. He's been good rushing the passer. So good job, Rashawn Gary. The, the Packers are in this interesting spot because they've had injuries to essentially two of their best defenders. They've lost uh, Zadarius Smith and they've lost Jair Alexander, which has forced guys like Rashawn Gary to be like the guy, the yeah. primary pass rusher. And it's forced rookie Eric Stokes to be the primary number one corner. And I would say those have gone in different directions. Gary's actually stepped up and done a really good job. Um, Stokes has been like okay, beaten up a little bit. Every time he makes a good play, he gets beat. Right. They get but all of a sudden, when they get those guys back, yeah. like that is this is one of those false, good force multipliers where you're going to get better at two spots. You're going to get better because you got the all-pro coming back, and you're going to get better because the dude that was having to play as the number one all of a sudden gets to settle back to be the complementary piece and probably got significantly better during the time he was forced to be the number one that will upgrade that position. Uh, at six and a half, so uh, just to reiterate too what happened on Sunday, the Washington football team, they didn't punt. They moved the ball up and down the field. They got stopped on fourth down three times. And uh, I saw a nice healthy debate between Dr. Eager and Renner and Aaron Nagler, of course. Um, yeah, how good is this Packers team? You know, we've got the 2019 version didn't feel as good as 13-3. and three. They were 13-3 and three last year. They felt dominant. This year, like, are they 
somewhere in between. What I think they're more somewhere in between, and it really depends on your perspective, right? They've done it with some injuries, and after the week one disaster, they've been better, and uh, they could get better. On the other hand, they haven't beaten anybody that's really that good. So uh, first real big test for the Packers, really, since week one with the Saints. Uh, I think they'll cover. I think the spread's getting too out of hand. That I think Rodgers will help keep it close, but I don't know how the, if the Packers can stop this Cardinals offense. So I think the Cardinals win, and I'll say the Packers cover with Rodgers, more superhuman type effort trying to keep it close here on Thursday Night Football. There are a bunch of numbers that suggest that the Cardinals are riding the high end of variance a little bit, and a bunch of numbers you would expect to regress. Whether it's Kyler Murray under pressure, whether it's um, you know, insane. Uh, they've they've given up a ton on the ground. They haven't quite like. There's a few different numbers that are unusually good. I think they have a really high third down uh, number as well on one side of the ball. I'm not saying it's happening this week. I'm not saying it'll ever happen. Like these are things that sometimes go that way. But there is the scenario where the seven and zero Cardinals start to look a little bit more close to where people thought they would be rather than like the best team in the NFL which the record says they are Um, yeah I don't know if they're the best team in the NFL but right so again I don't know if it'll happen this week their defense I think has done a good job of like tailoring what they're doing to specific offenses I would anticipate them doing that again but there's always that kind of shadow looming in the background that this team could come down to earth in a few different high leverage ways that would torpedo their their hopes of like being dominant uh just the last thing i want to add i tweeted out the stats the other day i mentioned all offseason kyler murray throw the ball intermediate level throw the ball intermediate level he has completely this is his at the intermediate 10 to 19 yard level pff grade was 38th out of 39 as a rookie it was 27th in 2020 it's now second here in 2021 kyler murray and cliff kingsbury in this offense starting it to attack the money zone, really, in the NFL, 10 to 19 yards. That is the money zone where the best quarterbacks, the best offenses, they excel there. And uh, Kyler Murray's up to second. That improvement is why Kyler Murray is in the MVP conversation. So um, I like Arizona to win this game. I think Rodgers helps to keep it close. Where are you going with the six and a half? Uh, Arizona, I will pick them to cover as well, Ooh. just given those injuries. Points are just too much. There you go. All right. Well, that's it for the Wednesday show. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Don't forget NFL Pod. You get all these great stats and numbers for 25% off. NFL Pod, any PFF subscription over at pff.com. Special thanks to Manscapes, to DraftKings, and special thanks to you, everybody on YouTube. Give us the thumbs up if you're live or even if you're watching on replay. If you're in podcast land, we appreciate everybody. We'll see you tomorrow as we preview all things week eight in the NFL.